Well, we're used to thinking about factions as insurgent forces that sweep into pre-existing parties and reset the agenda, groups like the Tea Party. But there's another kind of faction that can be equally powerful, the old guard, the people left behind when the bulk of the party moves in a new direction. We're going to turn now to a case of that second type of faction, the states' rights Democrats, nicknamed the Dixiecrats. Ever since the Civil War, conservative segregationist Southerners had controlled the Democratic Party. But in the 1930s, the party began changing. First, there was the New Deal. Then in 1948, President Harry Truman, a Democrat, asked Congress to pass civil rights legislation. At the party's national convention later that year, Northern Democrats renominated Truman for a run against Republican Thomas Dewey. And if all that weren't enough, those Northerners managed to insert a strong civil rights plank in the party platform. Southerners were outraged. The cooler heads uh, knew that the only thing to do was to, to uh, kind of hold your nose and move forward. This is historian Joe Crispino. While most of the senior Southerners at the convention didn't want to relinquish the power they had attained within the party, Crispino says... A few had had enough. Much of the Alabama delegation, as well as the entire Mississippi delegation, senators, governor, and all, walked off the convention floor. As soon as they leave, they put out an all-points bulletin, meet in Birmingham, and we're going to decide what we're going to do. And it was a last-minute kind of decision Mm -hmm. to go there. This was not predetermined. So once they actually get to Birmingham, what is it that they decide there? They decide that they're going to recommend... Uh, two candidates uh, to head an alternate presidential ticket. Um, And the two candidates they chose were Strom Thurmond for president and Fielding Wright, who's the governor of Mississippi, his vice president. The candidates were chosen in a series of of kind of hotel room caucuses where uh, the party brokers got together and offered it to several people uh, before they finally uh, got Strom Thurmond to accept to be the, the head of the ticket. And is that because of party loyalty? That, that Thurman uh, no, that, emerges as that a that they couldn't find another candidate. Did, did, season, oh, yeah. did yeah. season pros say, hey, I'm not going anywhere near this? Uh, well, it was, it was certainly was because of party loyalty. And to run against the Democratic Party uh, would, was uh, going to seriously imperil your political future right. in a region when the part, where the party, Democratic Party is the only game in town. The only way Strom Thurmond was going to have any impact on the 1948 campaign was to win enough southern states so that no one gets 270 electoral votes and the vote would, would be thrown into the House and then you can bargain with either Harry Truman or Thomas Dewey to get concessions on civil rights. Right. Now, what did it look like at that convention? How did the organizers of the states' rights party frame things? I know they only had a week, but what message did they try to send? The organizers were intent on having the the national symbols of the United States be on on display. They, They went out and bought bunting, red, white, and blue bunting, uh, was draped around the auditorium. They had American flags and that kind of thing. But there weren't that many heavyweights there. In some cases, the organizers of the meeting had to go up and actually round up people to come sit in the seats to make it look like it was actually full. And so they would recruit college kids to come sit in 
you know, the seats for Kentucky because nobody from Kentucky had come down for it. I don't, you know, it was that that sort of thing was going on throughout the uh, throughout this meeting. And was there some kind of tension between the rhetoric that the states' rights people wanted to use and the rank and file that did fill those meeting seats? Well, there wasn't much high-minded rhetoric at this meeting. You know, all of the kind of cant of uh, Southern segregationism was on display in the political speeches, talking about, you know, uh, a white race that had brought a savage, uh, you know, race to the new world and civilized it, uh, this kind of thing. The, the, The rhetoric was so inflammatory that some of the national radio broadcasting networks who were broadcasting live from the convention actually cut away Wow. Because the the rhetoric became so uh, racially inflammatory, mm-hmm. so it was in this context that Strom Thurmond gave his speech, what would become the most infamous speech of of his career. Because if you had asked who Strom Thurmond was in 1947, you would have said that he was one of the most progressive young governors then in office in the South. But as he stood up there in front of the crowd, many of them would have been wondering about him and wondering just what kind of leader they had gotten in this deal. There's not a full uh, video uh, record of this speech. There are only about four clips of it on video. Uh, And then the final clip uh, is the the line. I don't have the quote in front of me. Uh, It's the most famous uh, line of his political career when he talks about there are not enough troops in the army. The force of southern people to break down segregation and admit the Negro race into our theaters, into our spring pools, into our homes, and into our churches. I mean, he uses the N-word there. But he doesn't uh, use that kind of racist, inflammatory rhetoric on the campaign trail. Why is that, Joe? Why doesn't he go, why doesn't he go with the winner? But he's trying to run as a kind of national candidate who reaches out to what he calls states' rights Americans, right? Um, folks across the country who believe and support the rights of states. It, there's, a, there's, a, 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 there's a dissonance between what he's saying rhetorically and, and the, the strategy he needs to, to run to actually have the effect he wants to have. So what happened? How did Thurman do? How did the states' rights Democrats do? So Thurman ends up winning four southern states, they're all the deep South states. He wins his own state of South Carolina. He wins Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And he wins several million votes. But he doesn't win the votes that he needs uh, to, th- to throw the, um, the election into the House of Representatives. Although it looked very close at the time. Of course, this is the famous campaign, right, where, where newspapers printed Dewey's victory. Right. And, and, and if you look at the newspapers, everyone assumed that Dewey was going to win. Uh, but in the end, it wouldn't it wouldn't come to pass, and Harry Truman didn't need the, the Dixiecrats' support. Do the states' rights Democrats, these Dixiecrats, just go quietly into the night? Well, there's great concern about what's going to come of the party. Most of the major politicos did not uh, sign up for the party in the first place. and But there are efforts to keep the party going into the 1950s, and nothing really... Nothing really comes of it. Strom Thurmond eventually uh, wins election to the Senate, not as the Democratic Party candidate. He he actually wins 
uh, the first ever write-in candidate uh, for the U.S. Senate. Eventually, he, um, he, he, he votes with and meets with the Democrats. He caucuses with the Democrats. Mm-hmm. You know, the first thing he says when he goes to the caucus of the Democrat senators, he says he stands up, and this is a way to, to win influence among your fellow Democrats. He says, I just want to go on record to say I didn't get here because of any help I got from the National Democratic Party. <laughs> Joe Crispino is a historian at Emory University and is the author of the biography Strom Thurmond's America. 